Good morning. So we are learning the Mimer of Ayetze Yitzchak Lasuach Basadeh. And we are now discussing this concept of Sof Maaseh de Machshavat Chila. Sof Maaseh de Machshavat Chila, that the end action, the last action was the first thought, right? Because we're trying to understand, yeah, how could the Alter Rebbe say that a Brisa is higher than a Mishnah? Within the category of, tira, of the oral Torah, which is which has the least amount of revealed godliness and from all the aspects of the Torah, there are two sections. There's the Mishnah and the Brisa. The Mishnah is considered to have the Mishnah is considered to have a drop of godliness within it. Okay, somebody with Ruach Hakodesh would be able to to sense that. Obviously, all Torah has God within it, but revealed godliness. The Brisa, not at all. It's the details of the details that explain the general mitzvahs within the Mishnah. It's the tiny details. And so we would think that the more detailed you get, the more far away you start to speak about these big topics of how the mitzvahs remind us of this, the mitzvahs do, um, are for this reason and for that purpose, the more mundane and practical we get, that the lower it would be. But the altar is saying, no, no, no. That's actually the highest level. Why? Because Because the final action was the first thought. And we said the first thought of Hashem was that He wanted there to be people in this world who were serving Him, who were learning Torah, who were doing mitzvahs, uh, people who weren't Jewish who were doing the seven Noachai mitzvahs, people who were Jewish who were fulfilling the 613 mitzvahs. That was the first thought. And the last action is those people actually doing those things in this physical world. And we can only do those things when we know those small, tiny details, as we're going to see how the Mishnah, when the Mishnah teaches us mitzvahs that were passed down orally from Moshe, it's very general. The Brises then come and give us all the tiny details so we can actually fulfill that mitzvah. And that's the whole point, that we can actually fulfill that mitzvah. So it's the highest thing. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, I was just wondering, I don't know, like, I, I just thought of... How come that, like, what does the world benefit from having two separate populations, one non-Jewish and one Jewish, if we're supposed to be alike for the non-Jews, and they can't even, you know, live by the same walls as us? So how do we affect them, and how are we alike for them if we're totally segregated in that sense? Mm. That's a very interesting question. Um, we, everybody has the same overall purpose, which is to elevate their lives and to connect with Hashem. Everybody has that. The way that you do that is different, um, depending on if you're Jewish or non-Jewish. And even, the Rebbe has alluded to that, even within people who aren't Jewish, there are different core essence of different groups of non-Jewish people, and they can also connect in different ways. So you can think that it's like there's one way for all the Jews, and then there's one way for everyone else, which would be under the category of the seven Noachide laws. But within the seven Noachide laws, there are different religions that follow the seven Noachide laws. Christianity follows the seven Noachide laws. Islam. The Rebbe Rebbe says yes. There was somebody who once asked, um, there was a a journalist who once came to the Rebbe. He was a famous journalist from Israel. And he was writing up a whole piece about Judeo-Christian values and how... um, how they build up this society. And the Rebbe said, you, you know, you need to make sure, I think I told you this, Judeo-Christian Islamic values, that there was someone who once asked the Rebbe, there was this young man who had grown up, I hope I get all the details of the story right, but he had grown up 
from and then he completely left everything and he was searching and he once came to the rebel with a question he kind of hijacked the rebel at the as he was leaving i think i might have told you the story individually i'm not sure um and he said to the rebel first he said who is god he said in yiddish he grew up he grew up from he said who is god where is god and the rebbe said everywhere does anyone know yiddish i don't remember how you say everywhere in yiddish everywhere no, said, no no like though is here but everywhere is like other also. Not do. Do is not everywhere. No, do is here. Right. But then it's like the... Like, like, Ale do or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how you say everywhere. Okay. I, I, my first language was Yiddish. Awesome. And I for, don't know a word. It's so sad because my parents stopped talking and I like, just nothing. I think I learned Hebrew and like my Yiddish just disappeared completely. <coughs> um, the rabbi said everywhere. So he said again, no, no. Where is God? And he said, the rabbi said, Hashem is everywhere. He said, where is God? He started to cry. And the Rebbe said, if you're asking that way, Hashem is, is, um, is, within, is within you. You need to look within yourself. And then he said, how could it be that we're right and everyone else is wrong? Right? Jews just know it and everyone else has just got it wrong. And the Rebbe said that there are different, now I'm not quoting the Rebbe, I don't remember exact words, but there are different types of essence. People have different missions. There's like truth in everything. There, so in everything, no. No, but like, but, but yeah, there, there, are, there are different, even within someone who's non-Jewish who connects to Hashem through the seven Noahide laws, there are different pathways to that. Yeah. There are different pathways to that. So that, that is, um, so when it comes to being a light unto the nations, to connect to the, to the truth and the Hashem within yourself, everyone can do that. Um, the way that they do that is different. We, when we're in light unto the nations, that doesn't mean that we're putting mitzvahs on everyone. We're putting 630 mitzvahs. The contrary, we don't do that. Um, but the general service is actually the same. Same, I don't know, the same, but the same overall purpose. But it's like, I remember I was told always that it's like kind of like a staircase. It's like that you have seven steps and you have six and 13 steps. And like when you're doing the six and 13 steps, obviously you're gonna be connected. Like it's about like just how proximity of connection. Like, like the same steps, but um, like obviously if you can do 630, like 13 steps to connect with Hashem, it's a little bit Right, but it's also interesting because we, we have a law that we're not allowed to add mitzvahs, yeah. right? So like you would think the more the better, but no, what Hashem gave you is, you know, you're not allowed to add. So there's also something interesting there. Yeah, it's an interesting... Um, it's an interesting question, but, but this idea of like that we just have a right and everyone else has it wrong, which by the way is the way I thought for a long time until I heard the story. I was actually blown away when I heard the story. I'd love to, I'd love to get, I actually heard the story from my father years ago, but only the first part where he said, where is God? And, and the Rebbe said like, okay, the way you're asking, you need to look within yourself. I didn't hear the second part until recently. Um, I kind of grew up thinking, you know, everyone else is just stupid. <laughs> like, like it's all made up. Like none of this makes sense. Um, ours makes sense, you know, and then you start to realize that there's actually, yeah, there are able to be kind of different truths. Now, it's not to say, it's not to say that the storyline that different religions follow it all happened and is true. That's not necessarily, but the, the, but the principles by which certain people who aren't Jewish live their lives and connect to Hashem is, is they're doing the right thing. Like, it's not just because they're not doing our way, they're not doing the right thing. Um... Yeah, it's interesting because this week's Parsha, this whole idea of the lowest thing coming, like the highest thing falling to the lowest, we see that in this week's Parsha with Yaakov and Esau as well. 
that um, Yitzchak favored, ya- favored Esau over Yaakov. He wanted to give Esau the blessings. And Hasidus explains that Esau is sourced in a higher level than Yaakov. But when he came down here, he, he descended really, really low. Um, Didn't he have also like so much more potential? He had a lot more potential, yeah. yeah. But he was also extreme. And Yiddishkeit isn't about extremes. So Yiddishkeit is a lot more about balance, and Yaakov very much represents, is the epitome of balance, of the ferret, of like a harmony. Um, but yeah, like you can see, you can look at Esau, be like, he was all wrong. And it's like, no, he was actually, he was actually had a tremendous amount of potential. Um, anyway. Let's get into it. Some, someone says that. Uh, Who is the Gilgal? Uh, the Gilgal person. Because is who? Are, Sorry? I didn't hear the first thing. Oh, Geirim. Really? Like, their unrealized potential. And uh, Geirim are the, like, the that's very, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, the amount that we say of Balchuva, Balchuva is the highest thing, you know, in a way, Geirim are higher. Because you, when I say higher, you start off in, the, in a lower environment and then raise up. And the lower something starts off, the more it's raised up. <laughs> so, so we're going to continue with this idea of the first thought is the last action in the context of the Mishnah and the Brisa, okay? And we're going to first bring this example, as we brought yesterday, that we see that the Torah descended very low, okay? The Torah starts, starts off as one with God's wisdom in a very, very lofty spiritual level, specifically in Chochmah of Atzillus, if you want to get... Um, technical and it's extremely lofty level where it's one with Hashem and it's all truth and it's all goodness and as it descends down through the worlds there's there's Torah as it exists in each spiritual world so wherever a, a soul finds itself up in heaven whatever level it finds itself it's learning a different dimension and as it goes higher a deeper and deeper dimension of Torah closer and closer to that like oneness and revelation with Hashem but as it descends down, 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 all the way into this world, and then from this world down into the luchas, into the written Torah, the oral Torah, the Mishnah, the Brisa, it gets more and more and more technical. It gets less and less and less seemingly holy, speaking about holy things, unity of Hashem, and all the things we speak about in Kabbalah and Hasidus. And when it gets down to the Brisa, it's just speaking about real technical things, to the point that it speaks about people who lie. That was the example that the um, Alter Rebbe brings here, that there's a story in the Gemara where they're... There's two people, they were both holding onto a garment. One says, it's mine. One says, it's mine. I think it's, one says, I found it. And the other says, I found it. Like, I found it first. There's all these very interesting halachas with, if two people are walking and they find something, who it belongs to. Like, my mother once, she always tells a story. She was walking with her friend when she was 12, and they saw a gold necklace lying on the floor. And I think what happened is my mother said, oh, there's a gold necklace. And then her friend bent down to pick it up. So then it was like, okay, who, who does it belong to? So they called a Rav, <laughs> these 12-year-olds. Um, they called a Rav and they said, who does the, the necklace belong to? And I think they said it belongs to her friend because she picked it up. Something, in, something like that. The, the, the conclusion was that it belonged to her friend, but her friend said to her, to my mother, when your daughter turns bas mitzvah, I'm going to send it back to you. Okay, they were 12. And right before my bas mitzvah in the mail came this gold necklace. I'd never even heard the story before. My mother started like freaking out. She had forgotten about it completely. She's like, oh my gosh, the necklace. Anyway, isn't that cool? So, so it's interesting that there, there's interesting laws. Like 
who found it? Who does it belong to? If one says, I found it, one says, I found it. And then, okay, well, I saw it first. No, I saw it first, right? So if both are saying, I saw it first or whatever, I picked it up first, one of them is lying, right? And then the Torah discusses this and gives a solution, which shows us that the Torah descends all the way to the point that it's resolving conflicts where somebody is lying and it's investing and involved in, in, in untruths, which is the epitome of like the opposite of godliness of Hashem, which is truth, right? So the Torah descended very low, as we saw. We said the law is that each one swears that he doesn't own less than half of the garment and they sell the garment and each one keeps half of the value of, of the garment. Um, reminds me a bit of what, with King Shlomo, you guys remember the story that there were two, two mothers who came and they were saying, no, this child is mine, this child is mine. So it was the same conclusion, it was the halachic conclusion, okay, so just split it, right? But that actually just shows us King Shlomo's wisdom with the whole backstory, but like halachically, that's what it says. You're both claiming one thing, so split it, right? It showed, it showed who the mother was, because the mother said, no, no, like take the baby. And the other one was like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. So in this, uh, in, Chassidus actually has some very interesting things to say about that story. I don't remember any of it, but I remember learning. <laughs> it's a crazy story. Yeah. And like the whole background there and how, yeah. So in this case, one of them is definitely lying, since each one claims to be the only one to have found it and therefore has the right to keep the entire thing. Even in this case of people lying, the Torah describes what we should do. And therefore, from what we see with our eyes, from what can be seen, he <clears throat> it looks like a huge descent, that the Torah has really descended into the dirt, into the mud, and gotten involved with all of these liars and cheaters and all these scenarios where people aren't being truthful. However, nevertheless, the Torah, as it descends all the way down here and involves itself in all of these mundane things, it's higher. Why? Because the first the last action is the first thought. The last final action is the Torah telling us what to do with liars and what to do with the part of ourselves that lies and what to do with the physical things around us. It's the lowest thing, but it was the first thought. In other words, the original intention of Hashem is that we should serve Him in this physical world where some people lie. And His intention from the beginning was to show how to live even in such circumstances. So that's the only reason the Torah exists in the first place. Thus, the ability to descend... To show us what to do in these situations comes from a higher level of Hashem's wisdom than abstract knowledge of Kabbalah that describes spiritual worlds that are naturally holy. When you learn Kabbalah, there's no one lying and there's no, it's all light. It's talking about this level of light versus that level of light versus that. Um, it stays up there in the esoteric and in the, the holy and the pure. But the Torah, as it descends down into the oral Torah and into the into the Brises and the Mishnah and the Brises specifically, it's not as abstract holy knowledge. And now the Altarab is going to bring an example for this term of Sof Maser, the Machshavat Chila, that the last action is the first thought. Kimshal Hashfo Feres, like a tube. And it brings us a diagram here. The example is like a tube. If you have a tube, whatever you put in first, Hanichnas Rishon, whatever goes first into the tube, Yotze Acharon comes out last, right? So we have ball A is inserted, then ball B, then ball C. The last thing to come out is going to be ball A. And I always do these calculations. I don't know if I'm on the only one, but I'm going on the plane. I'm like, okay, if I'm putting my suitcase on, if I'm checking in last, so my suitcase is going in last, then it's going to be the first one that they're going to take off. Um, so then maybe I'm going to get my suitcase first, but then there's a layover, so then they're putting it back on. <laughs> I'm like always thinking, when, is my suitcase going to come out first or last based on if I put it in first or last? So the rule is the first thing that goes in is the last thing to come 
out. So the first thought, the highest thing, the initial intent is the last thing to actually express itself. We see another example with man. He was the final creation. The last thing that was created was man. So you could think, oh, you know, God went in ascending order. First, the most important thing, the light and the dark and the sun and the moon and, and the animals. And then the last thing was man. So he must be the least important. No, the opposite. God, man was the whole purpose. So Hashem wanted everything to be ready for him when he was created. But we know that man, human, human, human beings, are the highest creation. And everything was created for people. So just like the ball that was put in first comes out last, so to the fact that man came out last in creation is because he was the first thing in Hashem's original plan and intention for creation. And I know I'm just... I just want to say that what we're learning here, if you've already learned Hasidus for a while, you've been in our class, it sounds almost obvious. But this is not an obvious perspective on Yiddishkeit. It's actually pretty radical. The way that most people see this world is that it's a stepping stone to get to the world to come. Most Jews see it that way. Um, there's this term, have you heard, that this world is a corridor? It's very, that this world is a corridor and you're just like walking through the corridor so you can get to the door at the end, which is the world to come. And the purpose is to just amass as many good things as you can here so you can get the reward in the future world. That's how, that's how a lot of Jewish philosophy and Jewish sects are built off of this premise and this idea. Um, we're explaining it all nicely and logically, but this is actually a radical, radical idea. That the, No, the purpose is here. This is the purpose. This is the best it's going to get. This is the ultimate. Right here, what we're doing right now today and it also can help us with um you know sometimes we struggle to get into the present right um tomorrow's always better but it's like no 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 everything that you are and everything that's culminated till this point was for right now and so this whole idea it's it's a foundational principle of Hasidus but it's pretty radical if you compare it to other kind of schools of thought wait the idea of like right now is the most important how does that like work together with like Mashiach? And, like, so the truth is, it's a bit of a bummer, but the way that Hasidus explains it is that when Mashiach comes, we're going to realize just how much right now was the ultimate thing. Mm-hmm. And there's even um, there's even a teaching that we're going to miss the times of Kodos. We're going to want to go back there mm-hmm. because. The downside, the downside of it being right now and not, it not being then, which is what this mime is going to discuss, is we don't experience it. We don't feel right now is the most important thing. It's always, oh, the most important thing is the future. It's the world to come. It's Mashiach. It's even my future. is like the most important thing is going to happen later. That's, be, that's because we don't see the tremendous potential and the tremendous opportunity of right now. So that's the downside of Galas. And that's what we're going to see. That's what's going to be discussed here also with the Torah. The ultimate element of Torah is when Torah is speaking about how do we deal with somebody who's lying so that we can know how to serve Hashem in a world with people who lie. But when we're learning that passage of Torah, we don't leave like, wow, I'm so inspired to serve Hashem. I saw God there. I feel like I connected to God in my Torah learning. We don't feel that at all. We feel like we, we, maybe we know more. Maybe if we're intellectual, it was exciting. But what were we, how are we connecting with God that we don't feel it? And that's the challenge. And that's why it's not so obvious that this is the most important thing. 
because we don't feel anything right now, right? When Mashiach comes, we're going to be feeling, we're going to be experiencing, we're going to be seeing, right? And in Olam Habas, we're going to see the same thing. It's, 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 this, it's this experience where you can actually feel all of the things that you were doing in this world that you didn't feel. But the more we can train ourselves into this thinking of, no, actually, even though I don't feel anything, right now is the most important thing, the more that you're going to be able to make the most of it. And not only so that one day you can realize just how good it was, but no, just so that right now you can connect to God in a way that you couldn't. Um, But good question about Mashiach. And we want Mashiach. And we're waiting for Mashiach. And the ultimate is Mashiach. Um, But Mashiach is almost like a culmination of everything we've been doing right now. Just like Shabbos. Like we wait for Shabbos. But Shabbos only comes because of what we did during the week. We have to work during the week so we can have Shabbos, right? We don't just say, okay, I'm just going to like sit and do nothing. Wait for Shabbos, right? Then you don't have a Shabbos. So Mayim Robin speaks about that. So, page six. That's the reason why that every person is an entire world. Have you heard this idea that if you save a person's life, you've saved the whole world? Every single person is an entire world. And that's why Hashem created only one man at the beginning. It was a very controversial decision. The angels were not very happy about it. They said, Hashem, you're one. And now you're creating one man that one will have children and that will have a wife. And, but one, one human being you're creating right now. That's going to confuse everyone. They're going to think that he's God because you're one and he's one. So they're going to think that he's God. And so even God, so to speak, not took the risk, but was like, it's worth it for me, even though maybe it's not so ideal because people could start to think, oh, he's one. So maybe he's God because to instill within us this message that every single person is an entire world. The whole world was created for one person and every person is created is a, is a whole world. To show us that everything was created for him. Because this entire experience and existence is for man. And this is this quote of our sages that we've learned before that comes up again and again. It's preferable one moment of tshuva, of returning and of good deeds in this world from the entire world to come, based on what we've been saying so far. Because we see in Olam Haba, there's actually a disadvantage. What's the disadvantage? Tzadikim Yoshvin, and the continuation is Tzadikim Yoshvin, v'nenim miziv hashchina, from the Gemara, that the Tzadikim sit and they enjoy the rays of the Shechina. In the world to come, where we're all Tzadikim, once we get into, you know, Ganeiden, we're sitting and we're basking and we're enjoying, we're getting the reward of revelation. That's, that's the reward. Revelation of what we were doing down here, we were able to actually experience it and, and that's a reward that's pleasurable. But that's also a downside. Because, as we've discussed again and again, revelation equals limitation. The moment God is revealing himself to you, he's limiting himself in some capacity and you're not experiencing the whole truth the whole God. You're experiencing a ray of God, which is amazing, which is pleasurable, which is, which is great, which is lofty, but it's not the ultimate. So the moment we have revelation, we're not, we don't have the ultimate truth. This level of basking in the rays of the Shekhinah is only a level of Hashem called Achoraim. Achoraim means the back. 
as we discussed with the Torah, there's a front and the back of the Torah. The front of the Torah is the truth of the Torah as it is one with God, the ultimate truth. The back are the logic and the haskalah behind the Torah, how we get to that, the understanding of the Torah on an intellectual level where we don't see God in that process. So too when it comes to experiencing God. The, there's a front of God, which is his ultimate truth, the oneness with him, and then there's the back of God. When the tzaddikim are basking in the rays of the Shekhinah, they're getting the back of God, which is a very high level, which is amazing, but it's the back, it's not the front. Panim comes from the word panimiyot, the essence, the internal truth. You don't get that internal truth. Ka'amar, as, ka'amar, as we see when, in Pasha's Kisisa, when Moshe turned to Hashem and Moshe said to Hashem, show me your face. I think it's hareni esmaraich, show me your countenance, show me your face. And what did Hashem respond? Isa es achorai. You will only be able to see my back. I'm not showing you my face. The reason for that is, as we're going to see, because nobody can live and see Hashem's face. Hatainug, the pleasure. Shemasika adam, that a person achieves from understanding, Bavodasai, in his service of Hashem. The pleasure that he receives from understanding, it's the back end of Hashem. It's not the ultimate truth. And I always say this, you don't want a God that you understand. That's lame. That's not God. That's just maybe a person who's higher than you that one day you'll understand. The moment you understand an aspect of God, the moment you, and pleasure comes from understanding, from grasping it and making it one with yourself. That's amazing. And you are connecting to God, but you're connecting to the back of God. The Achorayim. Not to the ultimate truth of Hashem. The ultimate truth of Hashem cannot be understood. Because that's what makes Hashem Hashem. That He's beyond our understanding and angels' understanding and all understanding. So the moment we understand, the moment we get pleasure in our day-to-day service of Hashem, when we're learning, when we're davening, when we're, um, when we're just doing mitzvahs, and we have this excitement from it because there's something that makes sense to us on a logical level that's amazing and it's important and it's one of the main reasons we learn Hasidus is to get that excitement for what we're doing however it's not the ultimate the ultimate is when we're doing things because we don't understand them when we do things when we don't understand them we can connect to the truth of Hashem to the Panim and that Someone with Rocha Kodesh, for example, when he opens up a Torah, when he opens up a portion of Torah and he learns it, he sees the truth, he understands it. There's no back and forth, there's no struggle there. The light is on, he can just walk through the room, remember the example, walk through to the other side, no problem, he knows where the door is. But he can only get the rays of Hashem on that level. As it says, Hashem's face is not possible to be understood. The innermost aspect of Hashem is beyond understanding. As Hashem responded to Moshe, I'm not showing you my back because nobody can see me, no person can see me and still live. The moment we can truly understand, so to speak, the truth of Hashem, we become one with Him. You can't exist as a separate being and also truly understand Hashem. And so according to this whole philosophy that understanding means you're only getting the back of Hashem, even the revelation in Gan Eden, which is a very lofty level, which gives us tremendous pleasure and reward, it's only a ray, an ray, alone. That's all it is. It's not the whole Hashem. 
It's a ray of Hashem. It's an expression of Hashem, but not of his ultimate true self. And therefore, back to this quote, back to this idea, that it's preferable to have one moment down here of serving Hashem without understanding. So even within our experience in Judaism, there's levels. There's serving Hashem on a level that makes sense. There's serving Hashem on a level that excites us. There's meditating on certain things and bringing meaning into the mitzvahs, which are all incredibly important. And then there's something called Kabbalat Ol. You heard of Kabbalat Ol? Sometimes Kabbalat Ol is used um, by other people to kind of push us into doing what they want. So there's a bit of a negative connotation with this term Kabbalat Ol. But that's not really what it is. Kabbalat Ol means accepting the yoke of heaven, accepting it. Not understanding it, not exciting in it, not <coughs> reveling in it, accepting it. Because this, the yoke of heaven means what God told us to do. The yoke means the burden, the responsibility that Hashem put on us. So there's Kabbalatol and there's Hatarator, I think it's called. Um, when you put a yoke on someone else. Sometimes when we think of Kabbalatol, we think of somebody else putting the responsibility on us. But that's like the epitome, that's the, not the epitome, that's the opposite, complete opposite of what Kabbalatol means. Kabbalatol means I am accepting this. I choose to accept this. Ma, oh, it's called Matalatol. Matalatol is when somebody else puts it on us. That's not what Kabbalatol is. So sometimes, if anyone here grew up in like a religious kind of more institution, you might know more what I'm saying. Um, sometimes this, just have Kabbalatol will be told to people. Um, that's not what Kabbalatol is. That's you putting that on somebody else. Kabbalah means I am accepting it. I'm accepting it even though I don't understand, even though I don't find meaning, even though I maybe don't, don't enjoy it. I'm accepting it because this is what God told me to do. That is the fourth, so to speak, like the next dimension of the Torah, that's the next dimension of our service of Hashem, that can only be done down here, you can't serve Hashem on a level of not understanding when you understand, like a tzaddik, like a soul, like an angel, they understand, so they can't have Kabbalatol because they understand and they're serving Hashem based on their understanding, we in our so to speak blindness are able to have this level of Kabbalatol and when we accept when we accept and take on the responsibility that Hashem put on us, even though we maybe don't find so much excitement in a certain area, we don't understand it, that's when we can meet Hashem himself. The understanding limits us. That's why we see sometimes people who are, let's say, dyslexic, um, grow up to be these incredible minds and accomplish incredible things. Um, because they've had to, they didn't like take for granted things that other people did. They couldn't just look at a page and see see the words. They had to delve into it and struggle really, really hard. And that trains their mind in a way that somebody else doesn't have that advantage. And sometimes they can actually achieve a lot greater um, success. Not despite, not despite for, I'm bringing an example of dyslexia, but not despite the dyslexia, but because of it. Because they had to struggle with something somebody else takes for granted, they're able to achieve something much, much greater. Um, so, there's actually a downside to finding pleasure and meaning. And that doesn't mean, okay, that doesn't mean that now we have to say, okay, like there's no, there's, I shouldn't be learning the meaning behind the mitzvahs and I shouldn't be connecting to them on a personal level. That's extremely important. And personalizing our Judaism is extremely important. However, there will always be a point where, we, where we're stuck, like a ceiling that we hit, okay? I've understood as much as I can understand in this certain area and I'm just stuck now. There's... there's I've tried as much as I can to invoke feeling and now I'm stuck. When we, when we go past that blockage and we say, I'm going to do it anyway, that's, that's, an even, that's an even higher level. So we're going to confront those 
we don't have to purposely not learn the meanings for things so that we can get that. We're going to confront them anyway. So anyway, just a side point. Yeah, thank you. Last class on first day, she told me that I had to forget all my Chumash knowledge from before because, like, and I really struggled because, like, one of the words that we were looking at was Elokin, and I was just kidding Hashem, and I kept going, and it was really three, like, it was, like, gods, like, plural. Oh. But, like, I wasn't... Like, I've read this right. in my life. So, right. like, this makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. When you just see it, you see the word, you associate all the old kind of things you've learned from maybe even when you were a kid to it, yeah. and then just move on, yeah. right? Um, it's interesting. Like, we do, that with, we do that with words. Like, we'll name something something, which is important because we all have to have a common name for something. Yeah. Um, but the moment we do that, we, we limit it to that name and to that basic association. So... This is a marker, right? So the moment I say this is a marker, you move on. You look at it, you move on. But if I would give this to Kayla, my daughter, she doesn't know what a marker is. She doesn't speak. She can look at this thing for 30 minutes. She, like, I, I always, I'm always sad when, like, the kids do start to move on from that level where you can just give them a cup and they're fascinated by it for half an hour. It's like, okay, now you need more interesting things. Because she doesn't have that word association. So she looks at it and she doesn't see, oh, it's a pen, next. I know what a pen is, a pen draws next. She says, wow, what is this? You know, and she looks at it from every angle and she touches it and she feels it and she, the colors and things. Um, I was thinking, my daughter as well, um, Musia, I was walking with her this morning and like, I walk this way, I don't see what's on the floor. She notices every tiny thing on the floor, right? Um, first of all, because she's just shorter, but also she's like looking and looking and this is interesting and this is interesting and this is a fly and this, I'm like, I would never have noticed any of this, right? Um, sometimes with our limited knowledge, we're able to actually experience a lot more. And when we have words, we put a word on something and we almost dismiss it. Like, okay, that's that. Next. I know what that is already. It's like, do you? Maybe you knew what that was a few years ago, but now you're smarter. You have more life experience. Maybe, maybe you can look at this again in a, in a new way. And because we are kind of groping around in the dark, when it comes to connecting to Hashem, when it comes to understanding Torah, when it comes to doing mitzvahs, we're able to stumble upon aspects of Hashem that we would have completely overlooked had we had some sort of insight, had we had some sort of understanding. And that's why we said, and therefore it's preferable one moment of Chovan Mas and Tovim in this world. Shehu Hamatze Atzma. Because here we have the action itself. Page 7, last paragraph. In this world we have the action itself, without pleasure, and without understanding. And that is preferable from the whole life of the world to come where we will understand and we will get, where we will get pleasure. Why? Because the final action was the first intent. So we have, even within ourselves, we have a hierarchy. We have our thoughts, which are the most sophisticated, maybe able to express ourselves the most, there are our thoughts. Then we have our speech, which is still pretty sophisticated, less so than our thoughts. And then we have our actions, right? Our actions are almost like, we, we, never, we don't want to be defined by our actions, right? We want to be defined by the incredible th- insights that we have in our minds. But when somebody else looks at us, they just see how we present ourselves in the world with actions, right? Um, and it's the lowest expression of ourselves, like of our soul, right? 
you like it's you're so limited in action to express your soul in action, right? And like your hands and, and with your body, right? Our soul has so much potential, and then our body says, "Well, you can only stretch back this much, and you can only do this. You can't fly. You can't this." We're limited when it comes to our action, but actually, when you want to know who a person really is, you're going to look at their actions. Who are they really? And when we want to know who Hashem is, we have to look at the actions. Because all the sophisticated knowledge and pleasure and understanding that Sadikim have, that souls have, that angels have, it's an element, it's an aspect of God, but we don't see the whole picture there. We see that specifically in the action, which is the lowest thing. It's the lowest, most mundane thing. It's furthest away from the first thought, but it takes us all the way back to that first thought. It's almost like a loop. There's the first thought and there's that whole process that needs to happen in order that we can be able to be people who live in this physical world, who feel separate from God, who then fulfill that initial first thought. Make sense? So even though in Ganeidin there is only a radiance of the divine presence, which is only an external aspect of Hashem's revelation that is limited to what the created beings can understand. However, through mitzvahs in this world... We connect to Hashem's innermost aspect that cannot be understood or grasped by any created being. And I once heard something very interesting. I don't know. I've never really been able to find it again and look at it. But there was a rabbi who was once saying that physicality is like the most dense. Like a physical thing versus the light of Hashem as it exists, you know, before it comes down here. It's the most dense. It's like very, very dense. So Hashem's light is packed up, packed up into this tiny thing, um, but it actually has the most amount of light. Anyway, I don't remember exactly how I explained it. I need a, I need a, it was very cool when I heard it, but now I, I don't remember exactly what he was saying. But, but like physicality, it's very, very crass, but it's got a lot packed into it kind of thing. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll have to look at it and, and bring, it, bring it up again um, to be able to understand it properly. Would you say that um, Hashem's, um, revelation is the same as Hashem's intention? Because it seems to go back and forth between revelation and intention. So would that be one of the same? I think more when it comes to our intention would be connected to revelation. The more revelation we experience, the more we can have what's called kavana. We can have intention. We can have pleasure. We can have understanding. I think that's where the would that I think that's where the connection comes in. Not necessarily Hashem's intention. Although Hashem having the intention to create the world at some point came out in, in revelation, but but it started off actually as one with him. Uh, so it wouldn't so it wouldn't be well, when it comes to Hashem, I wouldn't put these two things together as synonymous. But when it comes to us experiencing Hashem's revelation, that's when we can have Intention. That's when we can understand. That's when we can have enlightenment. Uh, because he says here, it said, Hashem said to Moshe, you will be able to perceive an external aspect of my revelation. Would that be the same almost as his intention would be the same? Like he moved with intent? Moshe moved with intent? <clears throat> no, Hashem. Because he was speaking to Moshe about you will... See the external aspect of my revelation. However, the innermost aspect of my revelation will not be revealed. So is he, is Hashem saying my revelation is the innermost aspect of my intentions? 
not sure. I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I can find the connection between those two. Like, okay. I'm not sure I see how they go in. And then, yeah, the but the, I would say almost the opposite. That's the truth. I would say almost the opposite. That the innermost intention of Hashem is the opposite of revelation. That the moment Hashem reveals it out, it's further away from the original intent. Until we get all the way down to a level where we don't even have any revelation where we can connect again to that original intent. So I think they would almost actually be opposites in that context, if that makes sense. Um, how are we doing? Good? So tomorrow, we're going to bring this back to Mishnah and Brisa and explain what is a Mishnah and how do we serve Hashem through a Mishnah versus what is a Brisa and how do we serve Hashem through a Brisa and why is the Brisa actually the highest thing based on like, this logic that we've learned about so far. Okay. Have a great day. We'll continue tomorrow. Thank you.